So last night, James gave a very lovely talk uh, speaking to us about the different attitudes that we can bring to practice. And he was speaking about some primary attitudes of kindness, paying attention to that, that particular attitude in our mind, whether we're being kind or unkind to ourselves. Spoke about um, this quality of spaciousness, open, opening up, being spacious around what's happening in our experience. And he spoke about this quality and this attitude of interest, the curiosity, being interested in what's happening for us. And what's interesting in the Buddhist teachings is that there are a great deal of paradoxes and contradictions. Because as much as we would love to be spacious, (laughs) relaxed, and kind, and interested, if we're if we're not really able to be, and then we start getting into some struggle about that and judgment about that and trying and effort, then we're actually blocking the possibility of these very qualities to arise. And yet, it can be very difficult for us just to stay open, to stay interested, to stay relaxed, spacious, And so it's really quite an edge in our practice, this this fine line, not to lean into that preference or that attachment to having those particular qualities in our experience and letting our experience be as it is, which is the attitude of kindness and openness and spaciousness. And it's the hardest thing sometimes because we want those qualities. Of course we want to feel that way. We, it, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. It's a, a happy, contented, fulfilled feeling when we are open and relaxed and spacious and interested. And we can easily then start getting attached to being that way or feeling that way and miss the actual movement of mind that is attached and not really see that that is the very obstacle. It's that it's the attachment to those preferences of those particular qualities of mind. Attachment is one of the key teachings in the Buddha's teachings. I'm sure you're aware of that. If you have any uh, understanding of the Buddha's teachings, this is key, this, um, this particular truth, this noble truth, this cause of our, uh, of our dukkha, of our suffering, of our distress, is this attachment, this grasping, this holding on to our preferences, to our, what we want, and pushing away what we don't want. These primary movements of our mind, this grasping towards what we want and what we like, and then pushing away in aversion what we don't like. And if, if you did nothing else in your practice but paid attention to that, those movements of mind for and against, towards and away, wanting and not wanting, liking and not liking, that would be enough 
to take you very deeply into insight and freedom. When I first understood this, I, I remember a time where I actually spent two years just watching this. It was really interesting to me when I really got how critical this particular piece was in the teachings. I said, well, I got really interested. Right? I got really interested to want to see, well, how, how does my mind do that? How does my, if this is really the cause of distress, you know, cause of, this, of, of bondage, cause of suffering, I want to understand this. I want to be free of this. So I would just watch how my mind would incline that, that movement towards what I really wanted that I thought, that thought I thought was going to make me happy and, and pushing away, rejecting and resisting what I thought wasn't going to make me happy. And this whole kind of, this is what we call this manipulating and controlling and, and, and trying to create our reality to match our preferences for what we think is going to do it for us. And it's really the trap. And when we come to a meditation retreat, it's exactly what you're confronted with. It's what you see. You sit down, you look at your own mind, and you just see how busy it is, how busy it is. And and if you look more closely, you'll see that one of the primary things that it's busy with is this liking and disliking and the attachment to those preferences and those views and those opinions and those expectations and those desires. And, and it's just a, such a, we call this monkey mind, you know, the monkey mind, the monkey, we call it monkey mind because it's the monkey who's swinging from tree to tree to tree looking for that next ripe banana. You know, that one that's going to taste really good and, and just feel so good when, when, I, when, when that monkey eats it so sweet and creamy and delicious. Yes, that one. I want that one. We just keep swinging and swinging and swinging back and forth until we find that one. And, and this happens in so many different ways when we come to a retreat. So many things, because we're, everything else is taken away, our usual comfort zone, everything that we make to uh, create our comfort zones for ourselves, it's taken away. You're going to thrown into this space with 90 people, more than 90 people, because you have all the staff and the managers, the teachers, you know, we have 100, then the admin down there, 120, 150 people, you're thrown into this space. It's like bees in a hive, <laughs> all buzzing around each other bumping in to likes and dislikes, preferences, and our attachments. There was a third, the third Zen patriarch of China, 606 AD, very long time ago. Very, very wise man who just wrote a few verses. His teachings were written down, just a few verses. And this is the first part which is very famous. And I was given this little booklet of these, of these verses uh, by Ram Das in the early days when he just thought these were the greatest words and greatest teachings. And so he was passing this little booklet out, to, little yellow booklet out to everybody. And it was, just a, it was just one we could study all the time. I'm just going to read you the first few lines. The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. That's how it starts. 
So, so it took us a few years to kind of, you know, get our heads around that one because it just seemed like, seems like we've got to have, I mean, can't get rid of your preferences, you know? I mean, there are, like, you do like maybe vanilla ice cream over chocolate ice cream, you know? Or, you know, I don't like strawberry ice cream, you know? I never did, even as a child, you know? So, so there's some preferences there. So then, so then more contemporary um, translation then, I think it was Stephen Mitchell who f first came out with it, just added this piece. He said, the great way is not difficult for those who are not attached to their preferences. And then that made sense, right? <clears throat> so we really, so the key, I mean, in a way, the preferences aren't so much the problem. Yeah, so I like vanilla ice cream more than strawberry ice cream. That's not a problem. But if I get really upset, if I go to somebody's house and they're offering me dessert and they serve me strawberry ice cream and I throw the ice cream in their face, you know, and say, I want vanilla ice cream, you know, which, you know, little kids sometimes do that, you know, and so we can regress into our attachments. So we're talking about, you know, what actually causes our pain, not only the pain within ourselves, but then the pain that gets inflicted onto others from the way that we are, the way that we get caught in these attachments. So that's the first line. That's, that's enough right there, isn't it? The great way is not difficult for those who are not attached to their preferences. When love and hate, and I want to say here love means the, the, the self-possessed love, that grasping love. When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. If you wish to see the truth, then hold no opinions for or against anything. To set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind. Powerful. Yeah? To set up what you like against what you dislike is the disease of the mind. When the deep meaning of things is not understood, the mind's essential peace is disturbed to no avail. It's all there. You know, that's the, that's the pith teaching. When the deep meaning of things is not understood, this way that we create this, these distinctions between what we, what, we des what we desire and what we hate, the mind's essential peace is disturbed to no avail. And so when our mind is disturbed, this is what's going on. There's grasping in the mind. And the grasping can take form both as that desire, that wanting, holding, and grasping on self, a self-possessed desire, or the opposite, which is the aversion, the rejection, the uh, not wanting, pushing away. So this is really what we see so much here. And we think that, you know, what, I, what we see again and again as teachers is that yogis come into the retreat and they're so surprised most, a lot of the time, that this is going on. You know, why, why is there so much aversion in my mind or resistance in my mind or judgment or uh, why am I so disturbed? You know, I shouldn't be. Why can't I just feel peaceful? Why can't I just be relaxed and spacious and open? Well, the reason why is because we're on a spiritual path. And this is the spiritual path. The spiritual path 
is to stop and take a look at what's going on in your mind so that you can come to some freedom from the particular patterns, the habitual patterns that are creating the unhappiness, that are creating the disturbances. It's not just something that happens, you know, just like that. I mean, it's, it's not like, okay, I get it, I get the teachings, and then the mind opens and we're free forever. We wish it happened like that, right? We all wish it happened like that. You know, many of us have put in a lot of time on the cushion, and it's still busy in there. You know, <laughs> there's still a lot of grasping going on and a lot of preferencing and attachment and aversion. It's still going on. And yet there's, as James was talking about, perhaps there's a whole different attitude to the way that that is perceived when it arises. There, we might say there isn't so much attachment to that being different. So there's aversion, and there's not liking, and there's liking, and there's restlessness, and agitation, and sleepiness, and doubt, and confusion. But it's a kind of like, okay, there it is. Not, there's not that extra layer of fight about it, that extra layer of judgment, necessarily. It's just the way it is. And these teachings are really pointing us towards this quality or this ability, this capacity to open to our experience just as it is, however our experience is taking form, however our experience is expressing itself, whether we like it or whether we don't like it. So we eventually, the preference for the way that our experience is expressing, our, expressing itself begins to die away which is a very interesting piece here. And then we can just live and be who we are with this quality of introspection and care and compassion and interest to the, the way the experience is manifesting without that whole extra overlay on top of our experience. This is, a, this is what, what we mean when we talk about peeling away the layers. This is like peeling away one big layer of the judgment and the preference, the attachment and the desire for our experience to be other than it is. And then the fun begins, right? (laughs) Then we get to really see what's going on in there, what this personality is really about, because we've taken away that one layer of manipulation from, from the mind. So it's not a mistake. It's not a mistake that you're, that you're going through what you're going through. If you're feeling restless, you're feeling disturbed, you feel unsettled, you feel agitated, you feel irritated at other people or, or yourself or whatever. It's, it's not a mistake. It, it, it is the path. It is the spiritual path. It's the only, the only way you could be on a spiritual path is to allow all experience to come because otherwise, I mean, what would be spiritual about it? It would just be manipulating. You know? So we're more letting go and letting go and opening to and letting go and opening to. It's very, very rich in this way. It's interesting, one of the ways that this has manifested so far on this retreat from some of the reports that I've received is people have been talking about, some people, some yogis have been talking about the noise level in the room 
the first couple of days. You know, that there's a fair amount of, not everybody, you know, some people may not even have noticed, but other people have noticed a lot. You know, people uh, moving around a lot, or people breathing loud, or coughing, or clearing their throats, or, you know, restless in their, in their body, and coming and going out of the rooms, and, you know, and some people have found this really difficult, particularly, um, you know, not being, not being able to really settle into the retreat quite in the way they imagined they would, you know, some kind of sense of this is going to be some sort of peaceful haven where no, nothing is going to impinge on your senses in any way whatsoever, and then you'll just be able to go into some kind of a deep, peaceful, concentrated state, and then the discoveries will happen, right? Well, a really good example is that the first morning... The first morning, I think it was our very first uh, meditation at uh, 8.45 on our first morning. And after uh, uh, how we gave the instructions, and then it got quiet, there was a crow out there. And (laughs) Ah, you noticed. There was a crow out there that just was having a field day. I mean, it wasn't just right outside the window, fortunately. Or, or unfortunately, I should say, but it was a little bit further down, and it, it actually, I noticed, <laughs> went on for about a half an hour. <laughs> I think we only sat for 40 minutes, and then there were a few little three, four-minute periods where it stopped. Not three or four minutes, my gosh, it was maybe two minutes, and then it would start up again, and all different kinds of level of crackling and cow- cowering, cooing, and all this... And and it was so interesting because I thought, here we are, come to this very peaceful refuge, and there's this crow that won't shut up, you know? And and how many people noticed? (laughs) More than half of you, right? Good. I wonder where the rest of you... No, I'm not going (laughs) to... And I noticed my own mind. You know, I watched my own mind and my own, you know, starting to feel a little irritated, like, like this isn't actually, people came here for peace, <laughs> not to listen to a crow. Why doesn't that crow shut up? You know, and I noticed a couple times, you know, the right, the scenario, getting the rock out and throwing the rock at the crow, you know, throwing the crow, you know, trying to get the crow off the branch, you know, and then, you know, somebody came up in, a, in one of those little carts, and I was thinking, maybe the crow will be close enough that the cart will really scare it away, or maybe the person in the cart will hear the crow and then just yell at it or something. You know, us, all kinds of scenarios going through, and then, oh, but the yogis are going to get more agitated and more restless, and then what? You know, and it was this whole interesting watching this whole scenario going on in my own mind around it. And yet knowing that it's my own mind, just, you know, throwing out all these kinds of stories and then feeling agitated about it. And then a yogi this morning actually talked about his experience of it, brought it up in the small group um, inadvertently, and just, again, just, just laughing to himself, like the, the whole kind of the funniness of it, you know, that we came here the very first morning sit, and, uh, you know, trying to settle in and be peaceful, and that crow just going crazy. And just, you know, being able to laugh about it, this particular yogi, just how funny, 
how funny that is, you know, that we think that somehow by coming here, we're going to get a reprieve from reality. Somehow that we can escape or we can bypass reality. And the interesting thing is that reality is our mind. Reality is our body. Reality is our experience. Reality is our senses and all the experiences that uh, come into our senses through the ears, the eyes, the nose, the mouth, the skin. And then our thoughts about it, our stories about it, our feelings about it, that's reality. And there isn't any way really that through Vipassana meditation, insight meditation, which is encouraging an openness to experience just as it is, moment to moment to moment, attention to that changing experience of thoughts and feelings, sensations, bodies, uh, sounds and sights and tastes and smells and all of that, that is reality. How are we going to get away? How are we going to get away? Where are we going to get away to? We can imagine, we can imagine places in our mind that we get away to. And I, and I think that's one of our escapes is our fantasies and our memories and, you know, places we go, we create in our own mind, all the scenarios, the pictures, the planning, the future, you know, that's a kind of escaping reality. Just think of a new one, just create a new one in the mind in the storyline, but then we become, uh, we wake up and we see that it was just a story. It was just the mind, just our imagination, and there really isn't any reality to it at all. We're back here, we're sitting on the cushion. We're hearing people move around. We're hearing sounds. We're, we're feeling sensations in our body. We're feeling the discomfort, we're feeling agitation, or we're waiting for the bell to ring, or we're falling asleep, or we're feeling um, a nice, sweet calmness, or whatever it is, that's reality. We call it the living reality, living reality, a reality that's alive, that is creative, that is expressive, that is, that is what it is, the way it is, in all of its manifestations, all of its beauty, all of its shapes and forms and colors, and that's reality. How are we going to get away? Do we want to get away? And if we do want to get away, I think it's a very important question for us to ask why we want to get away. Because usually we have strategies, our strategies that we learned as we were growing up, you know, strategies, then we don't like something that's going on, we can push it away. If it's, a, if it's a person that we're not liking or a situation that we're not liking, we just kind of judge it or blame it or get angry at it and, you know, try to manipulate that person or the situation so that it changes and then we don't have to feel what we're feeling. So we, 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 uh, we, we express that, we push that aversion and then anger out to the situation or the person on the environment or whatever it is. Or that's one strategy. Another strategy is we turn it back on ourselves. We turn that aversion and that irritation and that anger and that judgment and that blame and it's my fault. 
I shouldn't have done this, or I did it wrong, or something's wrong with me, and why can't I be more kind and spacious and open and relaxed or more loving or more caring, and it's all me. I need to be fixed. I need to change. I need to be different. And then we get caught up in that story with a lot of ill will towards ourselves. Or the third strategy is we just shut it all down and pretend it isn't happening and go half asleep, go into some kind of trance state or some kind of fantasy or planning or memory or something, just a kind of a nice distraction where we don't even have to feel anything. And a lot of people, unfortunately, live their lives like that. You know, just kind of half asleep, kind of sleepwalking through life because they don't really, really want to feel, they don't want to go deeply. They don't want to be connected to reality because reality can be really rough. It can be really tough. It can be really painful, really hard. That's the truth. The Buddha teaches about the, 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 the first noble truth, the truth of suffering, the truth of dukkha, the truth of the pain in this life is birth and aging and sickness and death. Birth, sickness, aging, and death. That's birth, sickness, aging, and death. That's reality. That's reality. So how are we going to come into relationship with that? And that's what these teachings are about. We learn how to stay present, stay awake, and what happens then when we allow our experiences to manifest as they do, How can we really be present in an open and spacious and kind, interested way? How do we do that? How do we do that? It's interesting, there was another yogi, you know, one couple yogis really talking about how difficult it was to be with the noise of the different noise levels in the room. And then there was another yogi who came in the group uh, today and was talking about, and again, just inadvertently, it wasn't like in context anything, she just brought up how she was so grateful for all the noises. Because, because Because the noises were really helping her ground. They were like mindfulness bells. So as soon as she would hear someone cough, or she would hear some rustling, rustling, or she'd hear um, somebody breathe, or the noise outside, or a door, or something, it would bring her back to the present. And somebody who's dealing with a lot in her life right now, and she found her mind was getting too busy, and each time the sound was there, it brought her back. And she wants to be present. Her, she wanted to be here. It was the most important thing for her right now was to be in reality, to be living her life where it is. And so she was speaking about this immense gratitude uh, uh, for for the support of all the people and the sounds they were making in the room. And it's so interesting, you know, how um, it's, it's each individual reality has a whole, whole relationship to what's going on because it's all about what's happening in our own mind. That's where it's happening. 
I was, um, I've told this story a few times. Um, I, uh, I think I told it in one of the groups as well because this thing around the noise was coming up and I um, reminded me of, of one of the stories that was really most power, powerful for me in my beginning years of practice. I, I, along with Howie and James, we did a lot of uh, long retreats at the Insight Meditation Society on the East Coast, um, three-month retreats. We would just check ourselves in and come out three months later. It basically, that was, <laughs> you know, okay, here we go, dive in. And um, I remember on this one retreat, it was early on, very early, and maybe my second three-month retreat in the early, early 80s, and um, I think it was my second one. And um, I remember about two weeks into the retreat, because um, things, things were getting very quiet, I was getting quite settled after two weeks, you know, just, just starting to get settled. And, um, and then I was feeling really good in my practice. And then in the meditation hall, uh, right next to the meditation hall outside, which was a kind of a, a garden uh, space, one of the pipes had broken. It was fall time. It wasn't winter. It was fall time. One of the pipes had broken. And so they needed to bring all, these, all this machinery out into the courtyard, into the grass courtyard right next to the meditation hall was with a couple of diggers, you know, like the one that dig into the earth, you know, and they're, you know, cranking up for, you know, a long time. And I think it was about four days um, that this digger was working on the pipe. And so every time we went into the meditation hall, it seemed like the digger was working, you know. <laughs> And talk about, well, this was when I, I, I mean, I was an extremely aversive person. I probably shouldn't put that in the past tense. <laughs> um, strong aversion type here. Um, but uh, so in those days, a lot of aversion and not so skillful working with it. So, but I really, really loved the teachings and took the teachings to heart. And I was, you know, asked to really with aversion, when there's strong irritation, when there's strong contraction in the mind and not liking, and in this case, hating, like hating that they were out there and how, how wrong it was. Why do they have to be out there? Can't they think of another way to fix this pipe? Don't they understand that there's, you know, 80 yogis in here on a three-month retreat? You know, my whole, you know, like that makes my, my story makes any difference, right? And I'm not talking to anybody anyhow, so, you know, <laughs> it's just a story that's going around in my own mind, you know, trying to come up with all these ways to fix the situation so that I wouldn't have to be feeling what I was feeling. And that's what I, 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 we want, all, a lot of the times we basically want to fix the situation so then our, 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 the pain of our irritation and agitation will go away. If we can fix it out there, then I won't have to feel this. And so that's what my mind would get preoccupied with, and I'd get angry and frustrated and impatient, and especially when it was going on. And it just was really hard. And then finally, I just took the teachings to heart. And in those days, we were noting. We were doing noting practice, which means that making that very soft, quiet note in the mind, which you just note your present experience. So just note aversion, aversion, or thinking, thinking, strategizing, strategizing, impatient, frustrated, irritated, uncomfortable, uncomfortable, you know, and then, you know, intense 
aversion, intense aversion. You know, just kind of keep naming it and naming it and staying really present and feeling it and connecting with that feeling in my body, trying not to add anything more on top of it, more judgment, more story, more agitation on top of it, just staying with the bare experience of what I was, what I was feeling. And, and, and as I did that, I stayed so one-pointed. This was, I was really one-pointed on my experience for a period, a rather long period of time over some days of this. And my mind dropped into such a clear, concentrated, focused state, you know, just keeping that attention coming back and coming back and coming back that the sound of the diggers, which was so irritating, like, you know, like sandpaper on the skin when I began, shifted in that openness and that clarity to the sound of Tibetan bells. And then I would just hear the whole, the mechanical sound was, were now bells. And I would just hear this beautiful kind of drifting and lovely, uh, very contented feeling, you know, it was just so, the whole thing changed. It changed here. It didn't change out there. Nothing changed out there. And it was, it was so revealing. It was so revealing. It was as if the teachings, everything that the teachers were saying, the teachings that were being given just opened up and it was like, ah, things change. It's just my mind. It's the filter over my own mind, the filter of aversion, the filter of desire, the filter of confusion that I'm perceiving experience through. And when that filter dropped away, my whole experience opened up, changed, as all things change. And the more that I see, and I see again and again, and the more I'm able to stay so present with my experience that way, it just keeps changing. It just keeps, it, nothing stays the same, as James was alluding to last night. There's a line from uh, uh, jo- one of Joni Mitchell's songs that is just kind of points to this. She says, everything comes and goes marked by lovers and styles of clothes. Everything comes and goes. You know, just like that, just reality, just simple reality. You know, just changing all the time. And when we can stay so present that way, that's when the, there's the possibility of our of, the, of that way that we're grasping onto our experience, that energy that we're putting into the grasping, can then, when that releases and that opens up a little, then that energy, it's not that the energy goes away, the energy just shifts into energy for the practice. Energy for, in this case, energy that manifests as curiosity, and energy that manifests as interest and, and delight for the discovery and the joy in what's opening and the revelation that's taking place before our very eyes. And then there's all this energy for the Dharma, energy for practice. It gets released, that energy gets released from how it's bound up in those contracted states of mind of grasping which takes the form of desire and aversion, opens up. 
And then we feel more of that vitality, more of that life force coming through us that then gives, uh, gives rise to a kind of magnificence, really, in this journey that we are on, this journey that we call life, our life, my life, your life, this journey that is reality, coming face to face with reality. I've been talking about our relation here, mostly about our relationship to sounds, my relationship to sounds. And that's a, you know, it's a pretty safe place to really pay attention to our reactions, to see if we can come into some kind of a more centered or balanced relationship with the the manifestation of the sounds, the sounds that is a one, one phenomena, Phenomena? Phenomenon. Phenomenon. One, pheno- <laughs> one, one phenomenon of reality, the sounds, the way the sounds come and go. But, it's, but it can be anything, right? It's any object, any phenomena in reality. <laughs> I'm getting it. I've been working on this for 30 years. <laughs> any phenomena in reality. So, you know, our relationship with people, our relationship with situations, our relationship to all aspects of our life, any aspect of our life, all the, the, the difficult aspects, but also the, the joyful aspects. I mean, how are we coming into relationship with all that? This, re- this reminded me of this... Um, uh, there was a, a, a man uh, who was speaking about his relationship to uh, his uh, loss of his life savings in the Bernie uh, Madoff scandal. And I'm sure most people here are aware of, of that uh, scheme that happened where, where people, so many people, hundreds and hundreds of people lost so much money. And it was, I don't even know, what, what was the total for 60? 50 billion dollars. Uh, people were swindled out of. And um, this one man was talking about his experience, and he, it, it, I wrote this down. I came through the email. I said, um, it was titled, What Bernie Madoff Couldn't Steal From Me. He said he was on vacation in the Antarctica. He was on vacation in Antarctica. <laughs> that in itself is, is kind of, you know, uh, not... not <laughs> And then, and then he, he, he learned, his satellite telephone went off, and, and on that, in that telephone call, he learned that he lost his entire life savings while he was on that uh, boat. And what he, what he, wrote, what he wrote was, um, but there is something else I discovered that is much more important, says Matt, And that's how to survive life's inevitable downturns with a sense of basic trust so that you can land on your feet no matter what. Yes, I lost my life savings in the Bernie Madoff fraud, but there are life-saving survival secrets that Madoff could never steal from me. Life-saving survival secrets that Madoff could never steal from me. And I, I I just think that's... You know, such a, you know, even in that kind, you know, your, 
entire life savings. And I mean, it's true for many people. Um, and yet to, to find that place, to find a place to go to, to rest into that life-saving survival secret that no one can steal from you. No one can steal from you. It is yours. It is your birthright. Once you discover that, that, that place, he's calling that place of basic trust, where we can let go and, and open to the way that reality is unfolding, just as it is, out of our control, out of our control. We see that again and again here, how this experience really is out of our control, and yet we are faced with how we don't like that, don't like it. And I'm not saying that there isn't a place for action, because sometimes when people hear these teachings, they, the mind can go, but wait a minute, you know, it's important to act, it's important to take action, and absolutely, this is not, uh, it's, we're not take, I'm not taking a position on one side or the other. We're just exploring together a side that isn't usually explored, which is the side of inaction which then, when we truly know this, this place of inaction where we're not engaged in the fight or the struggle or the conflict, where we can actually find a place to rest and trust and allow it open to, that's the place where true action can arise from. True action that is connected to our wisdom and our compassion and our integrity, and our deepest values, and that what we find is important to us in our life, then the action moves from there. It's unencumbered, it's unhindered, it's unobscured, it just comes forth in this clear and beautiful way. And this is, this is why it's so important for us to really start to know this place, which we could call this place of inaction, which is not opposite to action. Because the mind, the dualistic mind, the mind that thinks in opposites is going to think in action, action, that you have to take a position on one or the other. Again, it's the, it's the paradox. We have to find a way to hold both, to allow both. But, but what we're wanting to feel into and sense into is what gives rise to being in the world, being in our lives in a way that is clear, and wise, and kind, and, and compassionate in our responses, so that we're not acting out of reaction. We're not acting out of our habitual impulses to get caught in those strategies of attacking others, attacking ourselves, or going to sleep, and, and not really looking more deeply and seeing what's possible for us as human beings as human beings individually, but also human beings in this world so that the world can come to a more harmonious place. And we can actually live in this world in a very, very different way than the way we've been living. It's very, very potent. These teachings and what we're exploring here are very, very potent for us as a, as a, as a our collectively 
as a human race on this planet. And of course, you know, we all know how, how urgent it is for us to, to wake up now, <laughs> at this time, or we don't know what's going to happen here. So we're talking about this attunement, this attunement with the way things are, coming back to our experience the way it is, being present, being here, being connected. Because when we get disconnected, we feel the pain of that, we feel the tension in that, we feel the loss in that disconnection. We, feel, we can feel like we're kind of lost at bay somewhere. So the practice, the mindfulness practice, the awareness practices help us come back into connection so we can understand what's going on, understand what's giving rise to the difficulty that I'm experiencing in my life, or on the other side, what's giving rise to the peace and the joy and the openness and the heartfulness, all those beautiful qualities, the beautiful states of mind, so that we can continue to cultivate those. We can strengthen those qualities. We can can start to um, uh, remove the, 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 the patterns of mind, the habits of mind that are interfering with those beautiful qualities arising, and then encourage those beautiful qualities to be here more of the time. This is what's possible. This is really possible for us. I like reading this um, from David White, who's become one of my very favorite um, poets, um, inspirations, um, con- very contemporary, somebody who's, who's traveling around now teaching, sharing his poetry. This is just one little piece. He says, um, you start to realize after a while that the consuming wish for safety and security is the wish to hold yourself from the frontier experiences of your own life. There's nothing wrong with security and safety in their right place with our families and all the rest, but the individual human path and pilgrimage is a radical journey of encounter and appearance and disappearance. And if you take the understandings of safety too literally throughout your life, then you'll be unwilling to die at the appropriate moments and disappear. And you lose your sense of courage also because when things get difficult, instead of leaping towards the center of the flame itself, you're looking for a place away from the heat. So if you come to meditation practice, you're not going to get away from the heat. And I think that a lot of people hope, (laughs) wish, pray, that there's going to be a place away from the heat, but the truth is you're jumping deep, you're jumping closer to the flame. And the flame is really a wonderful metaphor because the flame, fire, is really what purifies. It burns everything up. And in spiritual teaching, spiritual language, we want to burn up the impurities, that which is hindering our clarity and our love and our wisdom. We want to burn that all up. And so in a way, when we come to meditation practice and we sit, 
no matter what. We sit no matter what. We sit for that 45 minutes no matter what. And then we get up and we walk for that half hour or 40 minutes no matter what. No matter what comes up. And then we come back and we sit. That's going in the fire, into the fire. Because reality will show its face in many forms, in many different ways. And can we stay there for it? Can we be there for it? Can we show up for it? Can we be present for it? It's a kind of warrior attitude, a warrior attitude for life. That's really, that's the way I see it. That's the way I feel. You know, maybe other people, other teachers may feel another way, but for me, this is how it comes through. It really comes through as kind of a, kind of a passion, really, for the discovery, for the journey, for the unfoldment, and trying to get out of the way of that as much as I can, this I, this ego self, which manifests as the uh, uh, manipulating and the controlling and the directing and the, the, this attachment to my preferences for the way I want things to be. And then take a deep breath, and then relax and open up and say, okay, this is the way it is. Reality is like this. As James was saying, our wonderful teacher, Ajahn Sumedho, things are like this. Impatience is like this. Resistance is like this. Not wanting is like this. This is the way it's showing up. Can I get to know that and not push that away? Because if I'm not allowing all of the, the full range of my experiences, my mind states, my feelings, my sensations to come into my awareness, how am I ever going to understand? Understand myself or understand reality, understand the nature of existence, understand what this is all about. I might live a more narrow, more small life, not really branching out not really discovering what the fullness of my potential is as a human being. So there's a real great possibility here for us, really amazing and precious possibility, opportunity for us here. And I think I'll just... um, Did I bring this? I want to end with... um, a poem from Jennifer Wellwood, um, pra- practitioner, very um, strong practitioner, uh, who is actually lives in this area. And I really like these words that she wrote a lot. This is what she says. She says, willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed into its radiant 
jewel-like essence. This is what's possible. Just like that digger and that horrible, scratchy, abrasive sound at my ear transformed into its radiant jewel-like essence of Tibetan bells. And I think it's possible for any condition, any condition. Not that it's possible for any condition, but it's possible for us to know that. It's already happening. It's already here. The radiant jewel-like essence is already beaming out right here. And so the transformation is the knowing of that, is the waking up to that, is the discovery of that. So let's just sit for a minute. You don't have to change your place where you are. Before I ring the bell, just sensing what's happening in your experience right now, just as it is. Seeing if you can open to it. And letting it be, letting it be okay if you can. for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.